Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Green Turn. Here today with us, I am pleased to be joined by Laura Stanford, who happens to be the CEO and founder of The Bug Picture. Simply put, The Bug Picture is a regenerative agriculture company that is revolutionizing the way people view insect-based uh, protein to create a locally produced, competitively priced uh, protein source that is also um, environmentally friendly and environmentally sustainable to farm. That being said, Laura, I think it would be suitable and fitting to start with a little introduction regarding your background, and it will also be fascinating to explore um, the motive for behind you know, getting involved in this space, because it's, let's just say, alternative and rather you know, unconventional. Yeah, thank you so much. So as you said, my name's uh, Laura Stanford, um, and I started farming black soldier fly larvae about three years ago out of my garage. And right. I get asked the question a lot as to, you know, how do you get into this crazy thing? <laughs> and I, I think it comes down to wanting to do something every day that's going to make the world a little bit of a better place. Okay. And the reason I say that is I, I've always watched David Attenborough documentaries. And if you think about how it used to be, it used mm -hmm. to be that David Attenborough took us on these adventures to places that we could never afford to go or it was too difficult to travel to. And it was an adventure. You know, he was right. he was part of the crew of people who were seeing these incredible natural events and animals and landscapes. And of late, sort of in his more recent um, documentaries, it's more along the lines of look what we've done. And if we don't make some drastic changes today, these ecosystems and these environments where these animals live is going to cease to exist. Right. So I'm now showing you what it looks like now, because in 10 years time, there might be nothing to show you at all. And that really, really stuck with me that we are living in a planet that is sort of on like a, on a limited time. Absolutely. And I love wildlife. I grew up, I grew up going to the bush and, um, I grew up going to the beach. I, you know, these are all things that are incredibly beautiful. And so much of my bucket list is around seeing places and animals which are unique. And those things are, you know, those things are not always going to be there. So anyway, going back to the bug stove, <laughs> I, I sort of was sitting there and thinking, but so what, what is it that, that an individual can do? How, how can you as an individual on this planet make a difference? Right. And, and actually it, it came through a lot of discussions with a lot of people, but insects came up as sort of this recurrent theme. The fact that so much of the world revolves around insects and we take them for granted massively. Um, the world doesn't exist without, without all of the insects that are, that are on the planet. Right. And how do we then take advantage of their natural ability, their nature, like their natural nature's approach to solving so many of the environmental challenges that we have so that we can do it at a bit of a bigger scale. So I started with black soldier fly larvae out of my garage, as I mentioned, right. that became a problem because you feed uh, black soldier fly larvae organic waste. Um, right. So that's your kitchen scraps. It's the market <laughs> waste. The, the waste from the brewery it's the waste from the restaurant um which obviously became a bit smelly so there were some complaints from the neighbors uh, right. and then we, we moved the bugs out to a greenhouse on the outskirts of Nairobi um and we've sort of just been pottering along ever since beautiful and uh, what made you sort of focus on the black soldier fly and the larvae coming from the black soldier fly is, is it because they've got specific 
um, properties and characteristics in place, or you know, can can the process that you use at the bug picture, you know, be applied to any given uh, uh, protein-rich insect? So, firstly, I think it's a good point is that all insects are protein rich. It's okay. the it's the nature of an insect is that they have incredibly high protein right. um, just because of the, you know, how they're made up. But going back to the question about why black soldier fly larvae, um, I looked at a lot of different insects and, and actually one of the ones that I was very attracted to was crickets because okay. we have got very, very large refugee camps in Kenya, um, which have been around for, decades to the point where some you know people living in Kakuma are now in their third generation born into the refugee camp wow so you have a lot of people living in refugee camps because there's so much insecurity in like the northern regions of of Kenya and then into our neighbors and and one of their one of the major challenges for all animals on the planet but for humans especially is if we don't have enough protein, we, we cannot exist. Right. We become incredibly sick. We can't, uh, we can't think. We become lethargic. So all of these things sort of pointed to crickets and the fact that people could eat crickets um, as a protein source, and you can farm them in Kenya, which other people are doing in the region. Um, the challenge that I found was that in the Quran, there are mentions that some imams would support crickets as a protein source and other imams would not okay. and i think you have to always take into account people's religion because for a lot of people on this planet that is their primary motivation right. uh, or the thing that they hold nearest and dearest so i started with crickets and then when i when i learned more about it i realized that there were some stumbling blocks um and and then i i came across the black soldier fly larvae which right. is which in my perspective, because I've spent three years learning about these guys, um, they're pretty magical. So firstly, they're beautiful. They don't look like a housefly, which is disgusting. Right. Um, they sort of look like a wasp. They've got these beautiful blue glossy wings. Um, they can't spread disease, okay. uh, which is very important because otherwise you are, you know, breeding something on a mass scale. <laughs> that is, that is a, that, <laughs> that's a sort of like a health, a health, uh, disaster waiting to happen is is a bit challenging so it can't be a vector for disease because it doesn't have a mouth as a as a fly okay. um it it eats all, any and all organic waste okay um but i think if we look at it as from a very high level it's like what is the trifecta of why they're so amazing uh and it's because they they're a waste management solution they contribute towards um, sustainable food security, and they are a sustainable protein source. Right. So you've got sort of these three major things that have been identified as global challenges that are all answered within one little insect, right. obviously on scale. Absolutely. And in terms of securing it, right, is it because is it continuous in the sense that, you know, once you've, I don't know, sorry if I'm speaking from a an ignorant standpoint but once you're able to secure let's just say the first batch of the black soldier flies that all you need because afterwards you've got then the larvae and then you know it becomes a circular system in the sense that you just need to feed it the the organic waste and you know it, you've pretty much got uh, a closed loop in terms of um, the process that you need for the bug picture to stay in place right yeah sure so maybe if i take you through the process a bit then yeah absolutely absolutely we'll answer that. That question. so from a process perspective is that when you start um, if we go through the life cycle, you start with eggs, which are laid by the um, 
by the adult flies. Right. And in order to uh, control that environment, they they mate and lay eggs in what is known as the love cage. Okay. Um, and there you you get. Uh, your eggs are very, very small, but very, very valuable. Okay. And there they go into the nursery where they hatch and they go over a, a quite a, a protein rich uh, substrate. And from there, they move into the liberium, which we call the fat camp, because okay. essentially we're trying to get them to be as fat as possible. And hmm. here we feed them um, on any and all organic waste. Obviously, there are there are more suitable recipes uh, that get them fatter faster but it also depends on who you're trying to be in this industry. So some people who want to be waste managers will feed the bugs anything, and then okay. they will jeopardize the size of the bug. Other people want that beautiful fat bug, so they feed them a very specific recipe, okay. which might cost a bit more. So from that, uh, from the fat camp, you get your, um, your, your colony or your fat camp um, bugs are split into the bugs that you harvest. Right which then go into uh, being processed into a final product that is available for animal feed or other products. And then the other portion goes back to maintaining your mother colony. Okay. So those flies, will, um, those larvae will then pupate and they'll, so it's sort of like for, for other insects, it's sort of like going into the cocoon. Right. So that's called pupation with this. And then those guys will emerge into the love cage so that they can find their partner uh, mate and lay eggs. And this is sort of the cycle. So you maintain a portion of your colony so that you can maintain the mother colony and the rest you're harvesting. And then from that process perspective, as, as your outputs, you the insect larvae, which can then be processed into animal feed or into other products. Right. Um, which we're playing with always. And then the other output is actually something called frass. And this is insect manure. So it's organic fertilizer, which is very rich in, in nitrogen okay. and a completely organic product. And this is why it sort of speaks to um, the food security in that you've got insects going into animal feed, which feed the livestock. Right. But then the other thing is the, the organic fertilizer that gets applied to people's soils so that you can increase the amount of crops that you're getting from a given piece of land. Um, so both contribute to that food security um, sort of element, which is really important. Absolutely. And um, I mean, it sounds almost too good to be true of a solution in place, right? That is also natural. So um, I think off the back of such a point, do you have you... I don't know, you know, how recent the bug picture is, but I think you haven't been along for, you know, that long of a time. But have you noticed since your um, presence in the market that there has been not only for you guys, but in the in the broader space that you operate in, uh, a major support from, you know, government entities or you know, local sovereign bodies, or you know, due to the advantageous properties of um, of uh, the space that you're in? Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing so. Obviously, we're part of this industry and you've got some of the guys that have been around for a lot longer. Okay. So that's the likes of your agri-protein, which was based out of South Africa, but which has now gone international. Okay. You've got Protex, which is in Europe. You've got a lot of guys doing this on a very industrialized and mass scale, which right. is amazing. And it's those players which have been doing the conversations with governments so that you are seeing these shifts. And it's not necessarily... Um, 
it doesn't seem like huge shifts, but it's small things like now there are regulations as to how to farm insects. Right. So that's something that never existed before. But now you're starting to see it in the legislation that's coming through in these in these countries. Right. We're part of the conversation in Rwanda because we've got operations there so that the regulations around what is insect protein that can be accepted into the market that's being tabled at the moment. So this is that legislation that's going to come out at the end of this year, beginning of next year, so that that can be the foundation of an industry in insect farming in Rwanda. That legislation already exists in Kenya right. um, and then also in Uganda. And there are there are bodies such um, such as a, there's a, an organization called ICPE, which okay. is basically an insect institute based here in Kenya, which is speaking to these national governments so that these conversations can be built on a lot of research and a lot of understanding so that there is a lot of comfort at that governmental level as these regulations are coming through. Right. The same in sort of in the same breath, you see in Europe that the mealworm has just been regulated um, as acceptable for human consumption. Wow. Now, this is huge wow. because we're now naming individual insects that can be eaten by human beings, which means that this will then stimulate that economy. I mean, I mean that industry in Europe. And Europe is not a place where people eat insects. Oh, so don't. currently, <laughs> I can vouch yes. for that. <laughs> yeah. So other than like, so in the world, in Asia and Africa, you see a lot of people eating insects. Uh, it's about 2 billion people around the planet. So it's about a quarter of the population of the earth actually eats insects. But Europe and America, that sort of your northern uh, hemisphere band doesn't really. Mm -hmm. uh, I think quite, quite obviously also just because the climate doesn't necessarily um, lend itself to insect uh, production. Right and wild capture and things like that. But, you know, this is a huge step in the right direction that regulators and governments are seeing the importance of moving towards insect-based protein so that we can sort of just level the, the field a bit on the demand for protein and how we get it. Understood. Because we're not, we're, not, we're not behaving sustainably at the moment. Okay. And uh, I think you've touched upon a major point, which is the let's just say the influence that an ever-changing climate has had on your operation. I wanted to ask you, do you have to have, you know, is temperature control very important, you know, within the greenhouse as you're, you know, um, let's just say coming up with the, with the most pristine colony for your operations or, you know, like what sort of, or does it not play a huge, um, a huge factor in your, in your processes? So temperature and humidity do play a huge role in, okay. uh, in our production. But we are very fortunate to be along the equatorial band. And this right. is why places sort of in sub-Saharan Africa, anywhere along sort of the that equatorial band around the world, doesn't really need that level of um, industrial yeah. management, okay. which means that we could do it a lot cheaper. So for right. instance, I was chatting to Thomas from Betabugs yesterday, and he sells a gram of eggs in Scotland for 45 pounds. Okay. In Kenya, sort of the average price for eggs here goes for $3. Jesus, wow. And that really speaks to the difference in how much it costs to, to run your colony here. We don't require 
a lot of electricity because we don't have these climate controlled chambers and we've got a lot of cheap labor we've got a you know we've got a huge huge workforce of young people who are coming out of university they're incredibly intelligent but the job market just can't absorb them right. and this is a brand new you're able to teach people how to do this from scratch, that they become the ambassadors for insect uh, rearing moving forward. And so I think that's one of the main points I wanted to touch upon. So have you, have you noticed, what can I say, a local um, proneness and, you know, willingness for people to uptake and, you know, uh, absorb what you're trying to do? Because obviously it has... Um, a multifaceted um, advantage point, right? Because you have the agricultural application as well, the animal slash livestock application, you know, are the are the local people where your operations in Rwanda are, for example, really, you know, gravitating towards the space and want to learn more or no? No, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's one of those things we're seeing is believing. So when you, when you talk yeah. to people about this, it's, it's, it sounds very far-fetched, right? Farming, maggots on a large scale it's it doesn't quite sound right but right. when people get in action and then they see the benefits of a dried larvae that can be a substitute for soy and fish meal and animal feed it's like yeah i do want this i do want a consistent supply of a product at a set price that isn't going to change based on exchange rate and availability in the local market right so from an animal feed manufacturer perspective, especially in Kenya, you see a massive uptake. The animal feed millers cannot get enough because it speaks to the fact that the demand for this product far up, like is far outreaching the, the supply currently. So there's so much space in the market. And then from a, on sort of a smaller scale, because that's also something that's quite important to me um, and our company is how do you, how do we make sure that these these insects also become a little bit more commonplace for the average person. Okay. And that's quite a cool thing when you, when you, you start and you open the conversation with someone about, about maggots and there's a, there's a, an automatic ick like factor yeah. where, no, I'm not in this. But when they start to see the benefits, they see it working. They see the fact that they can cut the cost of production on their, their like livestock which is just their garden chickens and, and they've got a couple of pigs, a couple of goats. But when they see that they can cut the cost of production on those animals, which means right. that they can make more money and then they have this like bonus of manure for their, uh, for their crops. They, it's, it's a no-brainer for them. And Absolutely. you can see how excited they get to learn more. And it also opens the discussion around other insects, um, right. which right. is also important because this, these solutions can and should be more more creatively applied to the challenges that we face across the planet currently but obviously you know i play in africa so so i'm far more interested in african problems i understand and i think you touched upon another um, fascinating point regarding this discussion is that since i wouldn't say that your processes are necessarily standardized but it seems as you know as you said since um, every insect is protein rich do you think that you will reach a stage once this space becomes let's just say a little bit more consolidated where you know the processes and operations in place to you know secure a healthy colony um will be will become bespoke and available to any new players and you know here's the blueprint you know go out there and do it what do you think i think it i think we are going to get there 
there yeah. are incredibly smart people working on this across the globe and the ability to buy an end-to-end solution is not far off so okay. it will come down to who knows how to fundraise properly <laughs> okay. um, and then you go out to market and you buy a solution that has been tried and tested i think that tried and tested element is the thing that is that is lagging so this is a very very new industry and the okay. the number of players that are that are in the industry at the moment are ever growing but it's also so exciting to see that you're starting to see niches come out so when you first start you're like i'm going to do the whole thing well actually i'm going to specialize in egg production you can have the largest impact because you can do this really properly you can okay. sell your eggs for a, a good price to a guy who then only wants to run that camp because okay. he's only interested in getting that end product because he might actually be a chicken farmer and he wants to he wants to stop buying animal feed from the guy down the road okay. um so there is this really interesting thing where these niches are now coming to start, like starting to pop up. You're seeing more and more products, including insects in them. So not just black swordfly larvae, but crickets and mealworms. Um, so your shelves on your supermarket are starting to shift. Okay. Um, and I think that's the really cool thing as well, because the actual, the actual full value chain of insects is growing every single day. So it's not just the guy that makes the insect. It's the guy who's going to specialize in making like, you know, muscle powder, not muscle powder. What's the guys that go to the gym? Protein shakes. Protein shakes, from, right. You know, protein shakes for um, using cricket and like cricket as your protein as opposed to wow. other sources. Wow. Uh, you know, it's the guys that want to do, um, so I want to get into pet food in Kenya because I see that there's a huge gap in the market. So using our bugs to actually create sustainable, uh, environmentally sustainable pet food. Okay. This, you know, there are so many options out there because this is such a new industry. But what comes with the new industry is that everyone's still trying to figure it out. I understand. Um, and someone who says that they've figured it all out, I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they're being honest. Right. And um, I mean, what a time to be arrived, right? For you and operate in a new and exciting space. And um, I wanted to ask you, since I've read that the, by 2050, the population in East Africa will double, do you think that, you know, there will be, let's just say, an acceleration in the creativity and innovation in this space? Because, you know, since um, uh, in that part of the world, you're not necessarily going to say um, rich in monetary value, but in, in, by in terms of natural resources, you really much are compared to, you know, other parts of the world. So do you think there will be, um, what can I say, um, an acceleration in terms of innovation and uh, uptake for such solutions like the ones that you're providing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's a very easy um, sentence to say that the world, you know, the population growth until 2050 is going to be substantial. In right. East Africa, we're going to see the population more than double. Okay. And that is the, there, there is so much in that statement that, that is worth digging into. So for instance, it's not that just the population is going to double in the next 30 years. The demand for food and livestock meat is going to more than double because of socioeconomic factors. But that being said, people are also becoming more educated because there is so much more available information for the common man on the street. So right. information is going to mean that people start to hopefully make better decisions around what is a balanced diet because there is a huge misconception as to what is the protein that you should be eating on a daily basis right there is a 
there's a con misconception that that needs to be chicken or beef or pork. And actually that is a, that misconception was born decades ago because there was governments pushing subsidies onto livestock farmers to hold the livestock, you know, the livestock industry up. And those subsidies have sort of continued and that misconception has continued through that same thing. So that shift towards what is a balanced diet and that information is going to become more available to the common man. Right. And that's quite exciting. So that whole shift as to what it's going to look like to feed the people in 2050 using the same amount of natural resources that we have today, because natural resources are finite, right. but creating more food is going to require people to be far more creative as to how we do this. And that's where I think it's very exciting for insect, um, insect farmers, because our products are very much far reaching and you've got the byproduct of fertilizer, that organic right. fertilizer coming but you've also got incredibly cool minds around the world who are looking at how do we create more exciting products out of soy um, so that people can still be getting that plant-based protein, but dressed up as something that they want to, you know, that they, they perceive that they want to eat because of the misconceptions of previous like generations I understand. as to what is diet. I understand. And um... I think it's going to be, you know, a space full of uh, interesting developments, especially in the coming years. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, of an interesting development, um, you know, this is how I sort of came across you guys. It's, um, you know, due to the, what can I say, the recent infestation of locusts in uh, central Kenya and um, the pivotal role and intervention that um, the bug picture was able to provide in your specific area due to um, you know, the solutions that you have in place. I want to ask you, you know, um, would you be able to kindly summarize what happened? And you know, um, you think that such events due to an ever-changing climate will, what can I say, push the, the attractiveness of your operations ever more in the coming years? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, because of COVID, this, you know, the infestation of locusts, this is locusts in the Horn of Africa was not, particularly talked about okay but the infestation started at the end of 2019 and it's actually still ongoing and it's the worst that we've seen in kenya in 70 years wow but also the worst you know that ethiopia and south sudan and somalia um and these countries also experienced in, in a few decades and absolutely it is linked to climate change mm -hmm. and i think it's very easy to sort of ignore that but because we are seeing areas that have got more drought, areas that have got more rain, you've got more, uh, you know, shifts in weather patterns, including your wind. Because of these things, these insects were able to thrive. And when right. I say thrive, I mean, the skies were black. And Jesus. people were, people's livelihoods were being absolutely jeopardized because of these insects coming through and tearing through the region. And it is, you know, just from a from a like framing perspective, northern Kenya and a lot of Ethiopia and Somalia are areas where you've got a lot of subsistence farmers. Right. And it's these smallholder farmers who live off the land. And if they've got a little bit extra, they can sell it at the market so that they can pay their kids school fees, right. buy their kids some school shoes and books. You know, it's it's not a it's not an extravagant life that these people are living. So when right. insects come through and devastate their crops, it, it takes away that person's ability to prosper. Wow. And, I, and that, that was what, what we saw 
um, sort of mid of last year was that these insects were just tearing through um, northern Kenya. And the thing that stood out to, to the bug picture to me was that the solutions that were being put in place didn't include the people that were most affected. So the traditional response to desert locust infestations is that you spray chemicals on them. Okay. Um, and this operation was run by the FAO, is being run by the FAO, who are doing an incredible job because this, this was truly a crisis. But I also saw a world where you can use the individual as, as a soldier in an army that can become the change that you need. And when I say that, what we did through our project, uh, which had, you know, we were very fortunate to work with awesome partners, um, was we went into communities where locusts um, had arrived and right. where they were roosting for the night. We trained the communities in how to harvest them. We provided them with harvest bags. Um, and then we paid them the following morning per kilogram of locusts that were harvested. Right. And it's a very, very simple model, right? But through the, through the six weeks that we were in the field, we harvested four and a half tons of locusts. Wow. Uh, and we paid out about $2,000 to those affected communities. So there is a direct link between those who were affected and those who got paid money. And, and when and you it, speak to some of them, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, and it's also, sorry to interrupt you, but it's also, um, they've learned that you there are solutions in place that they're also, you know, I wouldn't say that they're looking forward to the next infestation, but you know, you, that you've provided them with, uh, what can I say, like a, a glimmer of hope as to how to mm. just say retaliate to such a, a, a devastating natural um, intervention to their, um, to their substance uh, lifestyle, right? Exactly. And I think that's, ex that, that's exactly the point is that when, when your feet are being pulled from under you by something that is completely foreign, Right. It is it is a human condition that you want to be part of your um, part of that control and part of taking back your existence, and that's what we that's what we hoped to give people, and that's what we did give people in, um, during this project. And then the locusts that we that we were harvesting, we took away uh, and we processed them at our uh, farm in Lakipia, um, so that we could they could then be used in animal feed. So that was sort of the end product, and we also then looked at techniques to compost. Right. And as the next phase of this project, we are working with um, Tomorrow Now and Digital Green in Kenya to then take the learnings that we have from that project, convert them into video, uh, open source videos right. that will be in languages. So for Kenya, it will be in Swahili and English that then people can download. And what Tomorrow does is they are uh, whizzes with weather weather forecasting okay so next infestation comes through we will use their weather forecasting tools so that we can warn people that the locusts are coming right so that those can then receive an sms um saying locusts are coming go out onto your shamba onto your farm harvest anything that is ripe or right. nearly ripe so that you minimize the impacts of the locusts but also here are the links to learning what you, how you can directly benefit from these locusts. And those videos will be, how do you harvest a locust? Actually, what is a locust? Why are they important? That's, and then thirdly, okay. this is how you can make animal feed out of those locusts by yourself on the farm so that people can, you know, they can be part of the solution of reducing the swarm size 
as well as directly benefit from it because you can't you can't stop the locusts right nature brought them and nature's going to take them away once nature's ready but in the meantime let's try and take advantage of the massive amount of protein that is is flying in the air wow that's that's a a beautiful solution that has come full circle simply through you know a solution that plays and also through a successful communication between the players involved right yeah exactly and um, I think that's a good way to end it on. And I want to, you know, open you up to the questions from the public. And I think you've briefly touched upon the first one, but I would uh, love to hear a more thorough, I wouldn't say a thorough, but extensive answer. And I want to ask you, what do you think is the best approach to change cultural perceptions around eating insects? And I would like to add to that as to, you know, utilizing it within our industrial processes and, you know, overall lifestyle. So, yeah, as I mentioned, a quarter of the world currently eats insects. So it's not a far fetched um, vision. Yeah, it's not a far fetched idea that that everyone in the world will eat an insect in their life, even if it's not, you know, completely everyday and commonplace. But I'm part of the the food systems change makers lab uh, on innovating protein. And essentially what we're doing through this is creating an action agenda, which will be presented to the UN Food System Summit later this year. And in this, we are, this is exact conversation that we're having is how do we create a world where insects are far more available and people are far more prone to eat them. Right. And it's not just insects. I love insects. So this is where I come from, but this is alternative protein in general. And where our discussions are going is that you've got, you've got so many players need to play a role here. You've got people, you know, people need to sit around a table as a family and parents need to tell their children to be more adventurous with what they eat and then put food in front of them that everyone eats as a family so that there is a shift in what is a normal plate, what is a balanced diet and right. open that conversation up in a, at a household level and then at a school level. Okay. But then also, you know, from the other side is governments uh, you know, have to play a role, which they are already in shifting that, um, shifting regulations, but also creating new regulations that can support a alternative protein and insect based um, in, like industry in, in countries around the world. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, it'll, it'll be a gradual process though, surely, right? It's, you can't just expect to alter behavior surrounding something so important, which, which is nutrition. Mm. It'll, it'll, it'll take time, right? Yeah, and I think that perception is also important, like, as you say, time, but I think it can be in a generation, because it's the kids of today that are taught to eat more adventurously, will be the people who have kids in 20 years time, who then that change and that shift in how people eat will be commonplace. Will have already been embedded, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Let's just, let's hope so, right? It's it's an interesting and... uh... (laughs) Curious perspective for sure. And um, I wanted to ask you the, the final questions. Do you think the, well, do you think, are there any uh, health considerations for consumers when switching to insect based protein from uh, traditional protein sources or no? So when you say traditional protein sources, that is, um, that's both plant and, and animal based. And I think where, where I'm playing currently is I want to change the way in which the animals eat, which we ultimately okay. eat. So there is no health considerations there. When it comes to the other insects that people eat around the world, the health considerations are very limited because the, the insects that people have been 
eating for centuries, they've only continued to do so because there is nothing to be worried about. I understand. So, yeah, it is. It is a shift. It's a perception. It's it's a it's a cultural thing, and and it just needs to be broadened. There are obviously always health considerations when you're looking at a new thing, and this is where governments come in. You know, come into play. They regulate according to what they believe is um, is safe for their their people. So if a government has said that, for instance, we take mealworms, mealworms are okay to eat, then people should be eating them. You know? But And I think, you know, I've now understood what you're trying to say because it's um, insects will be fed to the animals, which then will be fed to us, right? So it's not necessarily the protein that's coming from the, um, the animals that's changing. It's more, you know, what they're eating and as a result, what we're going to eat, right? They're, the insects are at an earlier stage as opposed to we're always going to consume the... I wouldn't say always, but the more traditional um, uh, protein sources that we've been consuming up, up to this day, right? Exactly. And I think it's about feeding your animals that you eat more sustainable um, inputs so that we're not putting so much pressure on the planet just so that we can eat a cow. Right. You know, that's it's actually absurd. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And uh, honestly, it's been uh, uh, an eye-opening conversation, to say the least, Laura. It's been amazing to have you on. And uh, are there any concluding remarks that you'd like to uh, bring to people's attention? Uh, no, I, I think this has been a great chat. So thank you so much for, for inviting me. It's been amazing. Thank you, Laura. Best of luck with all your future endeavors. And uh, we'll touch base soon.